Hey, good, good morning, Gilmer family. It's good to see you. My name is Jeff, and as Matt's already mentioned, I'm the Minister of Spiritual Formation. But I think even more importantly, what you need to know about me is that I'm like you. Uh, I really think it's really more, more important that you understand that I'm, I'm a fellow member of New Beginnings, um, and, I'm, and I'm thankful for that. I belong to you, and you belong to me, and I'm thankful for that. I'm excited to bring God's Word to you this morning. So would you grab a copy of the Bible, and would you turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 17. And we're going to go through uh, verse, chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, I don't know, know about you, but my heart has already been filled this morning, I think just through the prayer time and through singing together. And so now I'm eager to share God's word. Again, Philippians chapter 3, <clears throat> beginning verse 17. That we're in this last week of this mini-series uh, through Philippians 3 that we're calling Chasing Jesus. Chasing Jesus. And if the main theme that we've... Uh, gather from is that over against everything else, Jesus is worth following closely, becoming like him in every way, becoming like him completely. We've been found in him and he has taken a hold of us and Paul says that we should now take a hold of him. That we should chase after Jesus because Jesus has chased after us and this is the relationship that we have. It's not really a relationship, it's only, only one person is pursuing the other. Jesus is pursuing us, and we are called to pursue him. And what he's going to say in our text today is, is nothing that he hasn't said already. So it raises the question, so why repeat it? Why repeat something that he's already said? But look at verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, to write the same things to you is of no trouble to him. And even more than that, it's not just no trouble to him, it's safe for you. You know, preachers sometimes think they run the risk of monotony. You know, if we just say the same things over again, if we just repackage some of the same sayings. But Paul says here that it's not a burden for him. And even more than that, it's going to protect him what he has to say. It thinks about like Martin Luther, who was once asked by a congregant why he preached the same sermon every week. To which Martin Luther replied, it's because you forget it every week. <laughs> and you laugh because it's true. You laugh because, raise a show of hands, how many of you remember point for point what the sermon was last week? Show a few hands, yeah. And that, it's, not, it's not that it's not important, right? It's just we're all too prone to forget. We easily forget these things. And it resembles my everyday uh, Experience as a father simply reminding my sons of some very simple things, right? Hey, listen to your mother, right? Pay attention to where you're going. Kids notorious for just running into a wall. Dude, what are you doing? Pay attention. And hey, be, be patient with your brother. He's, he's two years younger than you. He doesn't know what you know. Be patient with him. I have to say this one a lot. Hey, you're not always right, dude. You're not always right. Daddy's the boss. Mommy's the boss too. We boss together, right? Or the, the more encouraging thing that we like to say as a father is, hey, buddy, look at me. You can do this. You can do it. It's going to be okay. You can do it. And this is a daily task that I have to enter into as a father, but it must be done with the end in mind, and that's the key. 
That's the key, is that we have to keep the end in mind so that mommy and daddy don't give up hope. Why, why do we keep saying these things? It's because we want a better outcome. We don't want you running into the wall. We don't want you always beating up on your brother. Amen? There's probably some resilience there. There's probably some wounds. There's probably something new to pray through today. But this is Paul's heart of the text today. He's saying, keep your eyes on the prize. Stay the course. That's Paul's heart of the text today. Keep your eyes on the prize and stay the course. So again, we're in Philippians 3, starting in verse 17. We're going through uh, chapter 4, verse 1. If you're there, would you say that the Bible is true? Praise God. Here is what the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has to say to the church in Philippi and to us here at New Beginnings Gomer. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me as we get going here? Our Father, we praise you because you have always provided for us through your word and through your church. Would you help us this morning to hear your word and to love your church as you have called us to do? Spirit of God, we need your help this morning and we want to follow you closely in your word. So God, would you help us to do that now? Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, last week, because I know we forgot the sermon last week, last week we discovered in verses 12 through 16 that Paul had not yet made it. Was anybody else just really encouraged by that? The man who says, hey, follow my life as I follow Christ is the one who's saying, hey, I haven't yet arrived yet. I'm really encouraged by that. But he says, like a runner, he was forgetting what, what is behind. And he was straining with everything he has towards what lies ahead. He says that the mature Christians think, think this way. Say, hey, we're not yet perfect, but a maturing Christian thinks this way. And they hold fast to what they attained. And he says that main thing that we're striving after, that main thing that we're trying to grasp, that main thing that is our great goal is the resurrection of Jesus. And this is where we're going to take our cue in our, in our text today. We want to keep straining forward. We want to press on towards this goal. Here's the theme. We want to stay the course we want to stay the course that, that Christ has called us to. And so in our text today, we're going to discover three things. And as you would expect, because this is a Baptist church, it's three things and it's alliterated. You're welcome. 
right? Amen. You wouldn't expect, I couldn't, I couldn't do you that disservice of not doing that. But stay the course of the upward call. There's three things. The first thing, how are we going to stay the course? We need to be led by the examples of Christ. That's number one. We need to be led by the examples of Christ. Number two, we need to beware of the enemies of the cross. Beware of the enemies of the cross. And number three, we need to be sure that our citizenship is in heaven. It's very clear from this text. It's going to be easy to follow. But those are our three points today. We're going to spend time looking at each of these. So let, look with me at verse 17 as we look at this first one. He says we need to be led by the examples of Christ. Verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul has already shared in, in multiple places what Christ-like examples look like and that we need some to follow. In chapter 2, Jesus is the ultimate example. And he's enough. We should, we should all long to and strive to be like Jesus. He is the ultimate example that we should all be following. But he also reminds them and says, hey, there's some everyday examples. Some of the people that are sitting around you right now, flesh and blood, walking alongside of you. And he says, it's not just Jesus you have as your example. You also have Timothy. And you also have Epaphroditus. And now he's commanding them to imitate himself and to keep a watchful eye on those around them. When you think about Paul saying, hey, follow me, this is not a kind of spiritual arrogance. Paul's not so confident in himself as if he's the supreme example to follow. It's not, it's not arrogance. He's already told us he doesn't think that highly of himself. But he recognizes the need for Christian community. He recognizes the need for the church, that if they're going to make it to the end, if they're going to achieve this goal, if they're going to attain the resurrection, we need people to hold us up and to lead the way and to mark out the course for us. It says, Eugene Peterson says, that we are not ourselves by ourselves. We are not ourselves by ourselves. Our discipleship has a family history. Someone at some point in time shared the gospel with you and set an example for you. And this is what he's referring to. We're not self-made people. We are people-made people. We belong to one another. And I want us to notice three things that we just get from, this, from, from verse 17. Just, just a few words, but there's so much to gain from God's word. It's what I love about the scriptures. It just unfolds its wisdom that if we look close enough, the Lord will speak and it unfolds the mysteries of God. Here's what he says in verse 17 about what it means to, to be led by these examples. He says the examples that we need are family. That the examples that we need are family. Paul uses this generic term, brothers and sisters, including every person who confesses Christ and who's united to him. He means there should be affection for one another. It's family. We belong to one another. It would be like an older sibling trying to help the younger sibling figure out how to, how to, how to get along in the family. Hey, there's some things that they know that you need to know. He says they're family. And here's what I want you to hear me 
on this. The examples that we need, because it's family, the examples that we need are not political heads. They're not corporate execs. They're not internet influencers. Those people are not going to be there ready for you to comfort you when the loss comes. They're not going to be there to strengthen you when you are discouraged or to remind you of the precious promises that you have in Christ. They're not going to show up at your door. In that way, they are not helpful. That's what the brothers in Christ and the sisters in Christ and the friends of Jesus do. And I think sometimes we misplace exactly who we should be following and learning from. And we forget the family So here's the question, do you have a spiritual family? Are you a Christian here this morning who doesn't have a spiritual home? Or are you trying to journey along as a spiritual orphan? Paul says that you need them, they need you, and all of you need to be striving together. That's what the verb is implying here. It's not just imitate him, it's imitate him together, join together in doing this. And this is what he says next in verse 17. It's not that just that we are family. He says the examples that we need are close. So what's the difference between having family and having examples are close? Many of us know that you can be a part of a family and avoid your family members. Teenagers know this best. My kids are getting pretty good at it, right? You can be a part of a family. You can show up here every week and nobody know you. You can give off the impression that you're, you're better than you are. And so here's what this applies. You can be part of the family, but they also need to be close to you, side by side. It's this intimate term. Paul commends them to intimate. Uh, to imitate him. And by imitate, this is what he means. He means uh, someone who observes intently. And not just observes intently as if they're paying careful attention. It's that there's this deep desire that they want to become what they're seeing and what they're hearing. It's, It's the picture of someone who's in on the actions. And as they're watching, they're internalizing what they see and what they hear. We all know this about imitation. This is, all, this is how we all learn to talk. This is all how we learn the language that we have and to walk like we do. And, to, and our, on our jobs, we, we show up and we look at someone who's doing the job really well and we follow that person, we imitate, we get this. They model themselves after the teacher. And this requires closeness. It requires proximity. Paul's point is that there should be a direct relationship This is someone that you should follow closely and regularly. And here's the thing. I think he's saying you should be able to to name that person. And I wonder, can we do that? Can we name the, the people in our life who we are following as examples? And think about the reverse of that. Would anybody name you? Would anybody name you as an example that is worth following, a faithful and godly, and wise. I think this is what Paul is getting at. He's saying that we need to have spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers, people who are birthing new Christians, nurturing faith in them, causing them to grow. 
So if we're going to stay the course in the Christian life, we need to be led by faithful examples of Christ. We need to have travel companions who are close. Imitation is better or safer in proximity. So you need to understand this online examples or just on occasion examples are dangerous for actual progress in the Christian life. Things that exist online have some benefit, but again, they're not going to be present with you. They're not going to talk to you directly and answer your questions and be an encouragement to you. Here's what Paul is getting at. Hey, follow Jesus and anybody who looks like Jesus. Follow Paul and anybody who looks like Paul. Follow Timothy and anybody who looks like Timothy. Follow blank. Can you feel that blank? Is there someone that comes to mind in our, among our church, just to, just to bring it home, is there anybody here? They say, you know what? I would encourage everybody to follow that man, that woman's example, and anybody like them. We need real-life flesh and blood examples right here. It's like the book of Hebrews. He said, we, we need a great cloud of witnesses. If we're going to press on with confidence, and if we're going to follow Jesus, we need this great cloud of witnesses. And this is what Paul is getting at in this third point. He said, we need examples who are family. We need examples who are close. And we need examples that are diverse. Paul tells them to keep their eyes on those who walk according to the example they have in them. In other words, even as they have someone who is closely discipling them, they should look around to discover the beautiful and the diverse gifts of faith that God gives to his church. This room is full of beauty and wonder. It was full at the 8 o'clock. It'll be full at the 11. There's people that you know that they are beautiful in the way that God has created them and the way that God has gifted them. And we have the wonderful honor as Pastor Matt was saying, it's an honor for you to be here. Your blessing to the congregation. There's wonderful and diverse gifts of faith in the church. I love what Paul says in Ephesians 3 when he calls the church that the manifold wisdom of God. That the church reveals the manifold wisdom of God. The church is like a diamond. And when the light of Christ shines through, it reveals all of the beautiful ways that reveal the glory of Christ. See, the church displays the wisdom of God and the mystery of the gospel. We need each other. We need each other. And I want you to think about this with me. Who taught you how to read the Bible? I just, want to just think about that for a second. Think about the people who taught you the scriptures, who are teaching you the scriptures. Who taught you how to read the Bible? And is that the same person who taught you how to pray? Are those, is that the same person? And is that the same person who taught you how to visit someone who's brokenhearted and grieving? Same one? And it's not just older. Let's think about this. What about a child? who constantly remind you of the, of the beauty of personhood, just seeing a little life and just praising God for the beauty of life. And I think about my, you know, the, for kids who believe in the simplest of terms, the simplicity of faith, who are the children in our life that remind us of these things. 
Have all of us been married 60 years? I, I, I'm, I'm about 10 years into marriage right now, and I can tell you that my wife Kate and I have needed people who are 10 years along, 20 years along, 30 years ahead, 40 years ahead to come alongside us. This is the people that we needed. They give us a steadiness and a wisdom. We, have, we don't have it all figured out. I need to be reminded of things to become a better father, to become a better husband. They give us perspective and they give us patience. Sometimes to remind me, hey, dude, it's okay. And to other reminds me, hey, dude, it's not okay. Buck up. Spur one another on it. We need that. We need other couples like that. We haven't all been married 60 years. How do you get to 60 years of marriage? You got to go through 10. You got to go through 20. And those people will get the wonder, wonderful opportunity to turn around and give the gifts. And what about if you're single? We need faithful single people in the church who are leveraging their life for the mission of God. Is there a person in the church who you consider to be kind-hearted or merciful or hospitable? Is there someone that comes to mind who is just joyful in all circumstances and their joy is contagious? Is there someone that comes to mind? Do you see what we're getting at here? For all these things, we feel this pressure that we must be all of these things at once. And the question is, should we feel that pressure or... Were we meant to humbly receive the diverse gifts of our brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you see Paul's point? If we give our attention to the examples around us, we'll discover a variety of, varieties of gifts, degrees of maturity, and it'll keep us from despairing of having to figure it all out. We don't have to figure it all out. And it'll, it'll ultimately, it'll keep us on course to become like Christ. He has taken a hold of us. And here's what Paul is saying. We should take hold of him together. And here's what happens with all true growth. There's always a danger. There's always a danger to growth. There's always a danger of, of trying to avoid this way of life. We're always trying to shortcut things to get there quicker. And here's what you need to be aware of. Here's Paul's warning. There are times when so-called when so friends, maybe some who are among us today, are actually enemies. And we become tempted by their ways. And Paul says we need to be aware of this and recognize them quickly. Would you look at me, with me at verses 18 and 19? He says we need to beware of the enemies of the cross. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. There's this documentary called In and of Itself. I wish you had the time to tell you about it. Um, it's really interesting. It's about identity. It's called In and of Itself. And there's an old saying that's mentioned in there. And, the, and the, the saying is called the time between dog to wolf. Has anybody ever heard this phrase before? The time between dog to wolf. It means that time of day 
when the light is such that it becomes difficult to distinguish a dog from a wolf, a friend, or a foe. If you're a golfer, this is the twilight rounds. You hit your ball, you walk out to it, and instead of it being a golf ball, it's a mushroom. And now you've wasted your time walking all this way, and you're losing the lights. In the time between dog to wolf, you don't always know whether we're safe or threatened. Our eyes deceive us. We feel half hopeful, half fearful. We're not really sure. And in the context of the Christian journey, we hope that what we're seeing before us is an easier way uh, of Christianity, discover an easier path. But it's often too late before we realize that the one we've actually chosen is, is really destructive. So here's, here's what Paul's role is, is here. Paul's role is to help the church discern the wolves from the dogs before they get too close. He wants to help them to see, hey, before the wolves get too close and you think it's a dog, I want to help you recognize them. Because Paul realizes that there's a temptation to return the old way of life. This is the temptation for all of us after we come to Christ. It becomes easier to default back. It becomes easier to default to the old way of life and our creaturely comforts. Or take the seemingly easier path of discipleship to do the bare minimum of what we think is considered Christianity. And if anyone should be tempted by that, it's Paul. He tells us in the beginning of, of chapter 3, look, he had the life. He had all of the status in his life. And if anybody should be tempted to go back to it, it was Paul. That would have been the easy thing to do. But Paul says, and I want you to catch this, that they're not just enemies of Christ, but they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Why? What is the cross a sign of? It's a sign of death to self. Most of us want Christ, but we want Christ without a cross. That's always the temptation. So who are these enemies? And you need to understand this. They are likely professed believers. They are likely those who proclaim Christ. I don't think Paul would, would, have, would have reacted so frequently or strongly to the point of tears if that weren't the case. And they're either mature or they're deceived. And it seems like Paul is leaning toward the direction that these people are deceived, deeply deceived. He's not explicit about their identity. It's possible that they could be the Judaizers that we find in Galatians who glory more so in circumcision than they do in Christ, but we're not sure. But here's what he is clear on. He's clear that there are many of them. You need to raise your awareness. There are many who are like this, who profess Christ, but who have not taken up their cross. And they're trying to live a life that is to their own glory rather than the glory of Christ. He's clear that there are many and he gives us four ways to identify them. He says, first of all, that their end is destruction. Paul begins where they end. And this is why he's in tears. These people have names. These people have faces. But he's in tears because their end is destruction. Paul knows that he needs to denounce these people, because they, are, they offer a threat to true Christianity, but he's not pleased to do so. So Don Carson says it this way, we must become a people who denounce but, do, but who do not weep. 
We must not become a people who denounce, but who do not weep. We need to have a love that glories in the cross of Christ, but we should also weep for those who oppose it. Do we have that kind of love? He says their end is destruction, but he says also that the God, their God is their belly. This probably is something similar to Romans 16, 18. It says, such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ by their own appetites and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the, of the naive. Did you catch that? They're smooth talkers. They're flattering. You understand the difference between encouragement and flattery? They're, they're not true encouragers to press on. They flatter you. And once they have you, they deceive you. They deceive. They capitalize on the naive, those who are ignorant, those who don't have examples in the faith, those who don't know what the faith is. They capitalize on that. They are firmly convinced, and then they move on to deceive. And you've got to realize this is, again, this is a temptation for us. Kent Hughes says, Today the professed Christian who, who, whose own physical and personal needs come before the Lord whose bodily comforts display the cross, had better take notes because his God has become his belly. Are there things in your life that are overly comforting and you begin to imagine losing that thing? Could that not be an indication to you that your God is becoming your appetite? that your God is becoming those creaturely comforts. He says, you better take notes. You better raise your awareness. And this is where some of us come in. There's a reason they call them blind spots. You're blind to them. And you need another brother or another sister to help you see these things. He says the third thing is that the glory is their shame. Their third characteristic is highly ironic. They are proud of the things that should cause them shame. They're proud of the things that could call them shame. And maybe this is not as close for us, but it's becoming more normal in our, in our world. Things that we couldn't even imagine 10 years ago, 20 years ago, are becoming the things that are normal and accepted in our culture. And it's becoming easier and easier to accept it. We've become resigned to it. Paul says if their God is this inward impulse that they have, their shame is their outward worship. And we would call it shame, but they wouldn't even recognize it as shame. It's, sh it's shameful for us, but they're proud of it. You guys see the progression here? It's the glory of gluttony. They enjoy and celebrate what offends God and should be despised. And the fourth thing is that their mindset is earthly things. And this is the, the most far-reaching. They set their mind on earthly things. It's a glaring warning. Paul has been reminding them all throughout this letter of the kind of mindset that they should have, that their mindset should be like that of Christ, and they should, should, should stand together in one mind. Because if destruction is their end, their mindset is the beginning. If we just work backwards, where did this all start? It's the things that begin to take root in your mind and begin to accept as being okay. 
It begins as a battle of the mind and it leads to a battle of the hearts. And once you lose your mind and once you lose your heart, you've lost. You see the connections here. Acting on every impulse, becoming deeply deceived and it leads to your ultimate destruction. Here's the question for us because sometimes when we think about these things, we think that's, that's other people. We think that's for someone else. He must be talking about someone else. So what's the question for us? Christian, what combination of these four characteristics are you? What combination are you? How comfortable or tolerant or naive are you with the sin in your life and the sin of those around you? Are you aware of those things that are leading you off course? And are you aware of how far it's leading you? What are the things that are becoming easier and easier for you to accept than before? And this is assuming that you ever oppose them in the first place. It's dangerous. And how is it reflected, not just in how you talk, but in how you walk? See, that's Paul's distinction. Both the examples of Christ and the enemies of Christ or the enemies of the cross of Christ, are both, they're both walking, they're both living out what their convictions are, but one is toward glory and one is towards destruction. One wants Christ and one wants Christianity without a cross if they want Christianity at all. This is why we have to have a clear picture of what Christianity actually is, what it means to follow Jesus. We must raise the level of discernment and urgency one, must, one of the most effective ways that we help others seek out their sin and overcome it is, is to have a deep awareness of our own sin and, and, and deceit. If I have a deep awareness of where I'm failing and how my heart works and what I'm prone to think and what I'm prone to do, I can help someone else navigate their own heart and their own mind. This is one of the ways that we help one another. Paul warns them again, to be aware of these enemies, not for their own sake, but also for the sake of others. And that's the negative picture, right? So that's Paul saying in the negative, here are the things that you have the responsibility to point out. But the Christianity is not just what we are against or just the negative side. He also gives them a picture even more powerfully and positively. He tells them what to do instead. And this is what we look at in verses 20 through 21. He says we need to be led by the examples of Christ. Beware of the enemies of Christ. Be sure of your citizenship in heaven. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. What a great promise. This past week, I had the opportunity to uh, think a lot about traveling. And we took a trip to Florida with my side of the family. And have you ever noticed the diff how different the experience is when you have the end in mind? Or uh, as, as you're moving towards your destination rather than away from it? We've got two young kids, so maybe, maybe a little bit out of the, the loop on this. But when you have two kids, you really have to keep the destination in mind. You guys know what I'm talking about? Hey, we've got to stay focused, but hey, 
We're, we're on our way. Stay focused. You know, when you get started, there's always this kind of dread of packing. If you're like me, you pack the night before. And you kind of just throw everything into the suitcase. And fortunately, that works out for me because my wife takes care of my wardrobe. So most things match and fit together. And so you throw everything in the suitcase. And it feels a little bit dreadful that you might be forgetting something. But it's all good. It's all good. Why? Because you know, as you get going, you're going to have a beautiful beach house when you get there. And your family's going to be nearby. And you're going to be able to share experiences together. And you're going to find joy in their presence, and you're going to be transformed in the light of the Florida sun, right? I have a tan, so this, these lights wouldn't affect you today. And why is this all exciting? It's because you're heading towards the beach. Things get a little bit easier. And, there's all, and you know, we pack our snacks, and we, we pack some DVDs, and we pick out a, we, you know, strike up a, a, a queue of, of songs, and it really doesn't matter that there's maybe a little bit of complaining along the way because you're tired of the snacks and you've watched the DVD six times and you've actually been playing the same two songs on repeat. It doesn't matter that there's a little bit of complaining along the way. Why? Because we're going to the beach, right? And on trips like this, there's a lot of anticipation. You're crossing into some new territory along the way. You got to get from Texas to Florida. Hey, we made it to Louisiana, and that's okay because we're on our way to Florida. And the, you've got to endure Louisiana to get there. I'm from Mississippi, so I can't joke on Mississippi or Alabama. <laughs> Some of you were thinking it. We've got to go, we we cross into this new territory, and there's literal rejoicing. And every hour that you get closer to your destination is still 11 hours away, but we're closer than we were before. Why? Because we're going to the beach. And as long as we stay the course and we don't get distracted by, by trap attractions like Bucky's. I actually love Bucky's. But every time, every time we pass something, we point out something to the road that just was interesting. Hey, look, it's the largest rocking chair that you can sit in. My boy's like, can we go? No, stay the course, stay focused. As long as we don't get distracted by the trap attractions, as long as we don't get discouraged by the traffic jams or despair over the things that we've left behind, we'll be okay. We'll be fine. Why? Because we're going to the beach. We're on our way to the beach. We have a destination in mind. And it doesn't matter what we face in the meantime, it's going to be okay. And isn't this what the Christian life is like? Isn't this what our experience of? Aren't we okay regardless of the circumstance because we're on our way? It doesn't matter what's before us. We're able to endure it with resilience and joy and we'll be okay. Why? Because we're on our way. Our citizenship is in heaven. We belong to him. Come what may. We belong to Christ in all of his glory. He's going to take care of us. There might be some complaining along the way. There might be some things that are discouraging. There might be some things that are painful, but that's okay because our Savior has endured that as well. So here's the big payoff for the Christian. In the previous verses, Paul gives a warning, but you can almost get this sense that he's now starting to worship as he tells him, hey, take up your citizenship 
It belongs to you. Can you imagine his excitement once he gets through the warning to tell him, hey, you actually have taken hold of the promise. It's right there now, and you're on your way. By comparison, the enemies of the cross are constantly having to labor to keep up. They're never satisfied. They're enslaved by the things that the world despises because their minds and their hearts are set on earthly, or on earthly things with the absolute guarantee that it's not going to work out for them. They're in his destruction. But for the follower of Jesus, there is a guaranteed citizenship in heaven with all the rights and the privileges and the goodness and the glory that is to come. He says, praise the Lord, stay the course. The reason the others are enemies of the cross is because they are unwilling to do, endure a crucified life in the short term to gain the glory of an everlasting life in the long term. But for the follower of Jesus, we wait eagerly and patiently for our Savior, Jesus Christ. Resurrected life in Christ is what we long to attain. What the enemies of the cross strive for, what they try to shortcut and they never get is guaranteed for us as followers of Jesus. Praise the Lord, stay the course. Jesus says he will make He'll make our longing a reality. He'll make our longing a reality. Our bodies of humiliation will one day be made like his body of glorification. There will be no sickness. There will be no pain, no deceit, no despair, no devastation of sin because he has all power and everything is subject to him. And one day he's gonna snuff it out with the glory. Praise the Lord, stay the course for he who promised is faithful. Is this the kind of Christianity that you long for? Is this the kind of Christianity that you want? Is this the kind of Christianity that you see around you? Those who are willing to endure the pain and the monotony and the sufferings of this world to know Christ fully and completely. Your citizenship, friends, is in heaven. We wait. There's two things. I think there's two virtues that we need. We need humility to realize we don't have it all figured out. This is why we need examples. And we need patience to realize it's going to take some time, but it is absolutely worth it. Jesus is worth it. And the question is, I wonder if this is the kind of Christianity that we have among us. Here in a moment, we're going to respond together. Anytime the word of God is preached, we respond. And we want to respond faithfully. And I see a few ways for us to respond. Maybe you're realizing for the first time you need some help. You're realizing that you need an example to follow and that should be, that should be your prompt to pray. That should be your cue to come and pray. There's gonna be some people standing here in front. That's your, that's your next step to come and pray with them. And maybe, maybe it's the simple case that maybe you look to your right, going back to this idea of family and proximity. Maybe you look to your left. Maybe you look to your right. 
I've been a part of many of our prayer gatherings where it was across the room. Someone darted across the room to come pray with me, to encourage me. And how, what a great blessing that was. That's what we're for. Maybe they're to your right or to your left, but you need to make the move. You need to move today. Perhaps you're a Christian, but the Holy Spirit is convicting you of the ways that you have tried to live without Christ and his cross. Because without Christ and his cross, you've been deceived into a life that doesn't have accountability. It doesn't have relationship. It doesn't have suffering. But that could be different today. Today is the day that they all, that all, all change. The people up here will be here to receive you, not to shame you. You don't have to have the fear of coming. You can be received. So if, there, if you are under conviction or under a cloud of confusion, I would encourage you, come and pray. And if you are here and you're not a follower of Jesus, what a great day to become a Christian. What a great day to know Jesus for the first time. Maybe you are in the throes of the, of the destruction of sin, whether that is your own sin or whether that is your experience of somebody else's sins, it doesn't matter. Jesus calls you to come to him. He'll heal you. He'll save you. I love what Matthew says about Jesus in Matthew 11, that Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart. It's one of the only places that the scripture says about what Jesus' heart is. He's lowly and he's gentle. He'll receive you. He will not shame you. He will not despise you. Matter of fact, the times that we think that our sin repels Christ and he's repulsed by it, it's a lie. It actually draws him closer. He doesn't want you to bear that sin any longer. He wants to take it for you. His cross proves it. Will you give it to him today? If you're a Christian, come follow Jesus today. He loves you and he's calling you. You may not have realized this, but the Holy Spirit has been inviting all of us to respond, even me. I have to say these things, but I have to fall under the conviction as well that some of these things are not true of me. So what are these things that are not true of you? Where do you need help? For all of these things, we need to respond faithfully. So would you be obedient today and respond to Christ? Follow as he leads. Make that decision today. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to sing together and there'll be people available here up front. I encourage you to do that. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for the cross and the life that we have in it. It is not itself a sign of the destruction. We're reminded of what your word tells us, that for the world, the cross is foolishness, but for us, it is the wisdom of God. So we thank you for the cross. Help us take hold of it today. Help us to respond faithfully. Help us to move. Help us to stand up from our seats. Help us to say the words that need to be said in repentance and confession Help us to take the steps of obedience. It is for our life, for our good, and for your glory. And so we need your help. Would you help us to do that now in Jesus' name? Amen.